Hello and welcome to the Helping Organisations Thrive podcast. This is your host, Julian Roberts. This podcast is to provide leaders with insights, discussions and robust strategies to help their companies thrive in these challenging times. We will be interviewing business leaders, owners and experts in the field of business resilience. Uh, welcome to Helping Organisations Thrive. Uh, today I have the great pleasure uh, of Julie Capsalis on the show. Uh, welcome, Julie. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah, it's great to to, 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 uh, to be talking to you today. And so I'm going to just introduce to you to the audience. Uh, you are the Deputy Chief Executive of Chichester College Group. Um, you're also a chair of the Coast Capital Local Enterprise Partnership. Uh, you're a board member of the Gatwick Dime Business and a trustee of the Worthing Theatre and Museum. Uh, so you're very busy uh, managing uh, uh, sort of um, organizations and being in a more strategic role, so which is great. And today we're going to be talking a lot about people and how people make it happen and bringing people together. And and I'm sure all your experiences I've just talked about uh, are really relevant for that uh, in terms of making things happen. Uh, it's not about you doing things, it's about gal- galvanizing other people. So we are going to get into that. But before we get there, just because I'm a little bit nosy uh, and so I understand people's passions and sort of purposes, really. Uh, what do you love about what you do, Julie? Yeah, and I think you, you've kind of covered it because it is about connecting people, about bringing organisations together, finding out there's a common challenge for the region, something that you know people are struggling to address one organisation, one institution on its own. How can we bring people together with a shared vision, which for me, in all of the roles I have, is around sustainable economic growth. Skills plays a key role in that. Our third sector plays a key role in that. Our business community. That's what I love. That's what keeps me inspired, passionate about being able to bring people together to make a tangible change in people's lives. Brilliant. And, you know, just that statement the saying you know uh, bringing people together will, will create the impacts uh, in some ways it's quite simplistic isn't it so so how do we do that you know it's almost saying that the what's almost the easy bit is the how bit how, how have you managed to do that uh, to create that impact in in your sort of leadership roles you're involved in yeah probably three words networking networking and networking that's four actually right. stand in but um yeah, for, for me, uh, I've got a real hunger and curiosity to, to keep growing my network, to meet new people, to meet new organisations and, and understand what their priorities are. And um, always having that mindset of wanting to learn something new. And in, in doing that, you know, I'm very lucky through all my roles. I meet some incredible people, some incredible organisations. Um, but and I think, you know, the past 18 months with, with COVID, Hasn't that made collaboration and partnership working all the more important? Mm. And hasn't it driven innovation? And that's yes. what I love, how you bring people together. Not only does it create a solution, hopefully, but probably a better solution than any one organisation or individual could have come up with on their own. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because challenges, as much as we, we don't really like challenges or difficulty, but actually innovation usually comes out of challenge, really. Uh, and I think you said, talked about how bringing people together, uh, bringing those solutions. And so it'd be interesting to understand just from your role with the Chichester College Group, uh, where you've obviously tried to, uh, some, you've had a number of challenges, I'm sure, in the last 18 months. 
Have you got an example where a key challenge that you're quite proud of how you overcame it, but you overcame it with bringing those people together? And and just I'm asking lots of questions here as well. How, how you facilitated that as well and created that sort of energy for that people to overcome? Yeah, probably the example I'd, I'd give is um, we've been really, really keen as a college to grow our higher education. You know, not competing with our, our, our colleagues at, at the universities in the region, but uh, recognising that there are some, some gaps in higher education, particularly in the north of, of West Sussex around, around Crawley. And that is creating an issue for businesses in terms of the skills they, they need. And government launched an initiative, uh, something called Institutes of Technology, um, to enable there to be sort of quite vocationally based higher education. Absolutely perfect for what we wanted to achieve, but it needed to be achieved in a consortium and a collaboration. So over quite a short period of time, I needed to assemble a consortium of other further education colleges, universities, and, you know, traditionally in the past, we've competed a bit and businesses to come up with a proposal and a bid to secure money to do that. And I think for me, this is where the other hats I wear came in. I, lucky enough through, through chairing the Local Enterprise Partnership to work with many of the region's vice chancellors. Um, and uh, Adam Tickell, who is the, uh, is leaving uh, the University of Sussex shortly, a great loss to the region, but uh, was able to pick the phone up to Adam Tickell, their vice chancellor, and say, would you work with us on this? What do you think? Mm. Um, and he immediately said, yeah, this looks really exciting. Then we're able to bring in the University of Brighton and then collectively through my network and their networks, bring in a range of employers, which includes Gatwick Airport, Ricardo, NatWest Group, uh, Erwin Mitchell, whole host of really important employers. Um, who all have got behind this project um, and we hear um, next month whether we have been successful. But whilst I'm passionate about making sure we are successful, just as much of the success is the partnership, which will be a long-lasting partnership that's been formed as well as the money that it will attract. So just actually in doing, overcoming that challenge or trying to what you're trying to galvanise there, you've already created a network and a, and, a, and a way of working, I guess, of that could be used for the future. Um, Absolutely. And, and actually, as well, what's really fascinating is some of the businesses that we're working with um, also includes uh, Roche Diagnostics. We're finding that different sectors have the same challenges, particularly in areas around uh, supply chain, transport and logistics. Um, and actually, that there's some really exciting potential research and development and, and solving of business problems mm. that we can do working with our region's businesses and and you know it goes back to when you said what kind of things make me passionate being able to you know solve those problems mm. you know improve productivity potentially create more jobs that's exciting and, and those really tangible outcomes for businesses that are going to you know drive their profitability mm. Is what's going to engage them just as much as the responsibility that I know they also all all have for supporting skills development in their local communities. It's interesting. I asked you for a, an example within your your college group, which you did, but it, it immediately went out out to other aspects of of the region and other businesses, other institutes. Um, now. There's a challenge sometimes dealing with other people's agendas, isn't it? Because everybody has their own agenda. Um, so how have you managed to 
I guess, align them to, I guess, almost a common one, which they're sort of buying into and creating the energy that you're creating with them to do what in terms of going for this bid uh, to get funding and everything else? I think there's a whole host of things. Um, and a lot of it comes down to people and personalities, doesn't it? Because if you find someone with that shared passion and enthusiasm, you know, that's that's got to be your starting point. Really difficult if an institution or organisation is lukewarm. Um, so for me, it was thinking very, very carefully who I was going to pick the phone up to and say, what do you think? And really focusing on, you know, who would be my potential key early adopters, who were influencers themselves. And, you know, the, the, the you know, gravitas that having, you know, I've mentioned some of the businesses, their support, that mm. brings other people in. Um, but, but also, I think it's also about being very, very honest. And, um, you know, where there were areas where with some partners, there was a bit of a nervousness, you know, would we end up competing? Being really open about it and saying, okay, well, if, if, if this tiny little bit in the middle is possibly an issue, can we look at the size of the rest of the prize? Agree mm. to park that bit where potentially there is, or, you know, ring fence it and say, okay, we're not going to go there and focus on the opportunity where the size of the prize is big enough for all of us to benefit. Um, so I think being really honest and also if, if a particular partner or a particular thing isn't working, not being afraid to change things or for one partner to walk away. That's great, and and obviously you perhaps talk, you just touched on it there. What 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 I've been sort of the challenges of of bringing these people together and trying to get create this common goal in terms of moving it forward. Has there been any real real difficulties, or has it all been fairly sort of little lumps in the road? Um, one of the ch the challenges, and this is quite a specific sort of te technical challenge, is when you're trying to do something new in in the skills arena, mm. uh, particularly in colleges. If a qualification doesn't exist, you can't just make it up. You need to work with awarding bodies. You need to work with a whole host of organisations to establish a qualification, particularly if it's going to attract funding. Uh, and we're going to be able to draw down funding for it. And it became apparent that that, that was a challenge for us. So what, what we did was I said, well, why not get one of the awarding bodies on board as a partner? Because then as we're identifying these gaps in the market, they have the knowledge and the expertise about their own innovation and pipeline. They will know better than us what will work, the timescales. So I was absolutely delighted that, that um, Pearson um, have joined our, our consortium to play exactly that role. So I think it is when you identify a challenge or a gap you've got, mm. who's the expert? Who can we bring in? Um, and that's worked really well. And, and at the start of the consortium, that wasn't even on the table as something we needed, but it soon became apparent it was critical. Mm. It, it seems that you like problems. Um, I say, I think you don't like them because obviously they're a challenge, but you seem to relish when you, you see a, a, a challenge or a problem and navigate around it somehow and look at ways, whether it's through your network or the way you might look at it from a different perspective. Um, be good to understand just for the audience what got you to that place of how you operate right now what, what, what's been the sort of was there any sort of impetus or any sort of moment in your career that did that or somebody you had a role model that sort of um, demonstrated something and you thought I don't quite like the way how they dealt with problems because uh, you not only are you positive but you you seem to embrace it and grab hold of it um, and and bring people with you as well at the same time 
yeah, role models are absolutely critical to me. Um, and I've been very, very lucky over my career to, to work for some extraordinary leaders who have been incredibly generous with their time, whether it's formal mentoring or coaching or, or just watching them. Um, and I, you know, I started my career in, in PR and public relations. Um, and I think it was a, a fantastic grounding because I worked in an agency. And when you're working with a lot of very well-known brands, some of the time you're dealing with crisis management when there's been a challenge, a reputational mm. issue. So you are having to look at every angle, not just what the problem is now, what could happen. How are we going to communicate that message? How are we going to preserve that, that brand? Um, and also on positive messages as well, you're constantly looking at how you can, you can get that across those messages. And uh, I was very fortunate to work for a company called uh, Jackie Cooper PR, um, and to work with Jackie herself, who I think is one of the most inspiring and, and, and creative uh, leaders. And she really taught me how to embrace challenges um, mm. and to you know, focus on being as creative as you can on finding the solutions. And then I was very lucky when I moved to Cedar, the Southeast England Development Agency, the chief executive there, Pam Alexander, she taught me the importance of networking. If there's a problem... You need to know who to pick the phone up to, who you've got a good relationship with. That sense of reciprocity is going to be there. Yeah. They've got the expertise to do it. And um, she really taught me the, the importance of, of your network, not just about what you want from them, but what you, you can give both ways. That's mm. really important. You know, don't don't you know assume that people will be there. Make sure you're helping them and, and you're reaching out when you know they're having a challenge. Mm. Um, so yeah, role models have been really important for me, and I also have an executive, a wonderful executive coach, Kiki, who um, makes me reflect, makes me continue to keep challenging myself. Um, mm. And for me, that's been one of the most important investments uh, that I've made in my own career. Brilliant. And you talked there about reflecting at the end. And I think as, as leaders, it's important to reflect, isn't it? To review how things are being whether it's on a key meeting whether it's on a period of time and i'd just like you to give your reflection really on the last 18 months in your leadership within the within the, the college and has there been any sort of real moments of or differences or how you manage that what's been your your thing that has got you through and enabled you to continue to motivate your uh, your teams i i think for me and i'm probably going to answer it in two different ways um what's been really grounding for me personally over the 18 months and for many many other people has been uh the periods of lockdowns where i had my children at home uh was you know normally you know my world of work and my kids does not cross. Um, and of course, for like so many of us, it was crossing every day. Um, and actually, whilst it was hard, and I'm not going to say, you know, it, it wasn't, that did make me, you know, take a look at things that were important in my life, you know, small things. But, you know, I did start taking, you know, half an hour for lunch sit down and have lunch with the kids because it was important for them to let me know mm. how their morning had gone and actually I suddenly realized they were quite interested sometimes in what I'd been doing and it started to create a, a dialogue um, that that was actually quite important um, to me mm. and then I think you, you start to realize well 
And particularly, I think that first lockdown, some of us were trying to, you know, have fancy backgrounds and pretend we weren't, you know, working out of a back bedroom with kids coming in every few minutes. By the second lockdown, I'd done away with the background. Most of my colleagues knew my kids, knew that probably if it was a Wednesday afternoon and it was an art lesson, they'd be in asking for Pritt sticks and felt tip pens. <laughs> um, but actually, you know, I, I think that showed a sense of, you know, our lives, um, what goes on. And I know some people mm. are very personal. I absolutely respect different people, you know, will wear their hearts and their lives on their sleeves more than others. I think it did break down some barriers, particularly with my own team, where we all began to understand a bit more about each other as individuals, what mm. motivated each other, what was important. You know, not to organise a critical meeting on a Wednesday afternoon was when art was on because I would just be really stressed and equally other people what their issues were. And um, one thing I would like to think is that it's difficult to say for definite, but my children uh, suddenly are a lot more interested in, in what I do and understanding careers and jobs because they partly lived through being with me when I was working. And it's probably made me think that I should have been doing more of that previously. That's interesting. Yeah, I think a lot of people have started to realise how people live and they're seeing the kids in the background and and almost the interaction as well. You see, you're seeing people almost the true selves really aren't you because you're seeing in their home environments um which can be a good or a bad thing in some ways um how, how have you led besides thinking about not doing wednesday afternoon meetings because uh, of the art lesson um how have you how did you lead in that time because for leaders it was pretty challenging because it was all over to look to you and obviously you know it all but you, you probably didn't know anything because if we all didn't, didn't know what was going on <laughs> it's completely new stuff no. Um, and, you know, working in education where we didn't fully close, we had some uh, students that we absolutely needed to continue supporting and working with, run a, train, a chain of childcare nurseries that had to remain open for children of key workers. Um, also, um, we latterly ran a, a test centre. So we were in this strange position as a team where I had some of my team on furlough. I had some of my team working entirely from home. And I had some going in every day and a mixture of everything else imaginable. And that's really hard. Um, but the one thing we all committed to was we had a, a team meeting once a week, just half an hour. Um, first few minutes would just be, look, what's going on? What challenges have you got? What can we do? But the second half of it, we just had fun. You know, we talked about what we'd been up to at the weekends. You know, we tore our hair out about something that had gone on or some problem that was going on locally. And we laughed. And, and you know, that was really important. And that built a sense of camaraderie and support mm. amongst us that started to, you know, people that worked in totally different business areas saying, well, look, you know, can I help you with this next week? Or, look, I know you've got this, this challenge. And... We were meeting before, but it slightly changed the dynamics of it. And people were so recognising that literally we did not know what was going to be changing from one day to the next, mm. that we had to be creative. And I think the one thing I always said to my, to my team, we had to make some very difficult decisions, very, you know, literally within hours on what we were doing in certain areas. Because mm. I said to them, what we need to do in all of these decisions is all be agreed that based on the information we have at this point in time, do we believe we're making the best possible decision? Hindsight may prove us right, it may prove us wrong, mm. 
But if we can look back and say we did the best we could with the information we had at that point in time, I want us to be proud of those decisions, even if they don't work out exactly as we had thought mm. and that there will not be blame attributed where things go wrong because not everything will go right. As long as we learn from it, that's mm. how we work. And that was our ethos and mantra throughout. Well, that's incredible, really. That's a, that's a real a good way to continue to reflect, but also get the team to buy into that uh, approach. Because I think people were making decisions uh, on, on the hoof a little bit with lack of information. Um, nobody's fault, it's just the way it was. Um, but actually responding and and almost, I guess, creating that mindset of readiness that we could change this very quickly again, as in it wasn't quite, I went down this that's a blind alley. Let's go back again, do something else differently and use it as a learning moment. And I think getting your team prepped in that way is really helpful because then they don't get so caught up with, oh, we failed and made a mistake here, have we? Yeah. Um, and, and the key word for me there was I absolutely said, you know, we will not fail. We may do things that with hindsight we'd have done differently, mm. but, you know, we are remaining open when many other organisations couldn't. We're supporting, you know, vulnerable children. We're supporting children of key workers. We're providing testing. You have to remember that what we're doing, you know, people talked about key workers a lot um, during during lockdown. I fundamentally believe every single member of my team that was going in and enabling things to happen mm. formed part of that. And and whilst you know I did go in myself, but I wasn't in every day. I feel enormously grateful to those people in our childcare nurseries you know, who were potentially putting themselves and their families at risk that were mm. going in because it was the right thing to do to en enable, you know, our hospitals, our shops, um, you know, in terms of food to keep running. And I'm proud that we played a part in that. Really proud of my team. Mm. It, it seems to me this is almost, which, which has come out of the pandemic, is this um, sort of almost compassionate and sort of empathetic leadership, isn't it? And have, have you... Is it has that highlighted it for you in the last eighteen months, or have you always been of that ilk in terms of trying to lead in a way that's more compassionate and more empathetic? I'd like to think it's always been important to me, but I think the last eighteen months have shone a spotlight on it all the more because everyone was you know it didn't matter whether you were somebody that had children or caring responsibilities, everyone was in an incredibly difficult position. You know, people that were on their own that were finding that sense of isolation, not having that interaction mm. with people at home compared to people with very young children, you know, people with children trying to do exams. Um, I think it probably just made me a little bit more aware of, of some of those those drivers. But, but it's always been really important to me personally to be uh, very fair, very understanding, and, and with my teams to, wherever possible, have a, a culture of, of honesty you know if something's happening and, and it's affecting your ability to, to do something or attend a meeting if you mm. talk about it you can normally find a way around it where somebody doesn't feel they have to hide it or, or come up with an excuse mm. because um, we all have challenges you know not just the last 18 months we all have things going on and I think uh, it's always important to me as a leader to, to help people come through those challenges because what that brings back in terms of people's loyalty and commitment, you can't put a price on it. Mm. And, and how have you integrated that sort of compassionate leadership into your leadership role and your, the way you work? How have you done that? What, what, what sort of, if you're going to give some advice to a 
perhaps a new or emerging leader right now, what would you say if they want to be more empathetic? What, what are sort of things factors need to think about? I think um, understanding what people's drivers are, you know, what's important to, to, to them, you know, what do they what do they love about their job? What do they not mm. like about their, their job? What things if they could change them, you might not be able to change them, but but understanding what people's motivations are, are uh, I think is really important because sometimes it can surprise you um, in terms of why why people are doing that job, what they love, what they what they don't like. I think listening um, is key. Sometimes it's a danger a trap I've fallen into of you know if, if you're the leader and you're you know you've got your direct reports and you're you're telling them stuff, you know you've got information to get out, uh, and then you know you've got five minutes at the end to say right anyone got anything else. Um, <laughs> And that's not enough, you know, flipping it, you know, start start some of the meetings after the really, you know, key things, you know, what are your concerns? What's going on? How are you feeling? I think that feeling piece is quite, quite interesting. Um, you know, we, we often find ourselves, you go into a meeting, you know, how are you? I actually found the last 18 months people were asking it because they really wanted to check in with you. You know, how yeah. are you really doing? How's the week really gone? You know, what was the last, you know, crazy change you had to make with five minutes? What can we do? And so I think asking people questions and listening rather than telling people, although, although telling people's never really been a huge part of my culture, but mm. that's something that I, I think is is key. Yeah, interesting that uh, how are you, that, that phrase, we all say, how are you? And we all sort of glibly say, yeah, yeah, it's all fine. And it, yeah. behind us, there's absolute carnage going on. But I remember a HR director once said to me, she used to go around and tell people and say to me, she, she goes, how are you today, Julian? And it, it makes you stop. It makes you think in the moment right now. And it gets you back into the present and you go, actually, I'm finding this really difficult or actually it's really good actually at the moment. Uh, and it's a question I tend to, to ask when I was in, in an organization in terms of leadership. I'd always say, how are you today? And it, it puts it into a point in time and makes it quite specific rather than generalize it. Uh, and it makes it more helpful. Um, just, I mean, just as we, just before we finish, uh, is there any other thoughts in terms of as we continue to navigate uncertainty, because there is still uncertainty and we just got to live with it. Um, what are your thoughts on how you're sort of navigating that now as we continue to yeah. live with this pandemic? Yeah, probably two observations on, on that. The first would be, I recognised at the start of that first lockdown that I wasn't um, spending enough time on myself. Um, you know, I, as you said at the start, I, I'm involved in a lot of organisations and uh, I sort of realised I'd fallen into a bit of a trap of not having enough time to reflect. And the reason for that actually was I, I normally have quite a long commute. I have about 45 minutes to an hour each way. And that was my thinking time. And because I wasn't driving into the office, I didn't have that. And it took me quite a while to realise that. So um, I quite wasn't particularly planned. And, and those people that know me will tease me about it all the time. I got into gardening uh, during the last 18 months. And that became my release. You know, even if it was just to you know pop out of the back bedroom office for 10 minutes to see how my you know tomato plants were doing, um, or at the end of the day, deciding I was going to go and spend 15, 20 minutes. And, you know, everyone will have something different that was their, their passion and their interest. But but it made me personally realise I needed to lead by example a bit better 
in finding some me time to mm. reflect on. And I think the last point that, that I've alluded to, that I made myself look, look quite strongly at, at the balance that I had in terms of, of spending time with, with my children. Um, mm. You know, we, we now make a point of, um, you know, making sure uh, three nights out of five in the week and certainly at the weekends, we all have dinner together in the evening. And I, I you know, I perhaps hadn't realised pre-lockdown how important those times of sitting down at the table together, everyone having a chance to say they had a good day, a bad day, mm-hmm. how important that was. Um, so they're, they're two quite personal things but um, that have been really important to me. And it's interesting because I, I think that's that's how it needs to be personal and it has to be about ourselves because I think leaders need to focus a lot more on their self-care. It's about self-care, self-awareness, uh, having time to reflect, use gardening. I don't use gardening. I go running. I go trail running. That's where I, I go into a forest where I don't have no Never signal. Get me doing that. I'm too <laughs> I walk as well, but it's. Uh, I, I, I reflect there. Nobody get older than me, and um, it's. I think as 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 people, we need to process life. And the more you process life, the more you keep in the moment. Because I'm sure when you're gardening, you're you're right in the moment, and that is the best place to be is in the moment. Think in the future. We know it creates anxiety. Thinking of a past, we get a bit depressed. But when you're in the moment, you're the most energized, most alert, and most um, alive, really, because you know that's, that's that's what it's all about. Um, it's one been... little tiny cool. anecdote, if I may, um, that that makes me smile, and I shared it at a conference I spoke at the other day. Um, as I said, my kids had not been that interested in my work before, and I, and I was lucky enough to speak at uh, an event uh, linked to the COP uh, climate change summit. And my son actually said to me, what are you doing today? And I said I was speaking at it. And, and as, he, as he got out of the car, as I dropped him at school, he said, I'm proud of you. Oh. And do you know what? I can't put a value on how much that meant to me. Mm. And for me, that's a small story, but I don't think that conversation or that discussion would have happened without everything that, that's happened the last 18 months. Um, so, yeah, uh, I'm very proud of him as well. Yeah, that's that, that's what matters. That really what matters, isn't it? That's brilliant. I like that. It's a really nice story. And it's nice that you've almost connected a lot more in the last 18 months. And I, I've heard a lot that more people have got more connected with each other in families and within situations uh, at home, which is great. Um, well, thank you for your time. Thank you for your insights and for being very open and sharing. Um, it's been a real pleasure. I've really enjoyed this. Um, and so if people want to connect with you and, and ask you to be a board of their, of their, of their business or something, possibly, uh, or some form of, uh, how can they get in touch with you? What's the best way of doing that? Uh, LinkedIn, uh, Julie Capsalis. Uh, there's not too many Capsalises out there um, or on, on Twitter. Um, I'd love to connect with people. As I said at the start, it's one of my passions. I learn so much from the people I have the pleasure of meeting. Get in touch. Brilliant. Thank you, Julie. Appreciate your time today. Thank you. If you like this episode, then please do subscribe, do share with your friends, and do check out other episodes in the series. If you're looking for support and help in your organization to create a resilient culture, then please do get in contact with me on julianrobertsconsulting.com. Thank you.